Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Morning. You're all awake? Awesome. How amazing was that um, time of worship? Proclaiming who Jesus is, his amazing grace and all that it's done for us, hey? So like John, I just shared, um, we have been doing this All Things New series. We talked about new creation. We've talked about a new identity. Isaac shared about a new mindset. And um, Paul shared about a new story. And last week, Jono talked about a new body. So as we're coming into the summer season, I thought, oh, we could take that one on for sure. For some of us who like to be out there on the beach, a new body. But there's also a new heart. And that's what I want to share about today. I know there's a few of those out there whose hearts have skipped a bit in the last few months, which is really, really exciting. We have a wedding coming up shortly in a few months for JL and Isaac and so our heart is something that we really want to honor and thank God for because what we do with our heart makes all the difference in our lives. So what is a new heart really all about? Well a new heart suggests to me that there must be something wrong with the one I have. So then I ask myself if God created me and he gave me this heart in the first place why do I need a new one? Did he get it wrong? Does our God make mistakes? Well, I don't think so. Because in the book of Genesis, it says that he created mankind in his own image and likeness. And he saw what he made and he said it was very good. So then if our creator made us with a good heart, why on earth do we need a new one? Well, for Christ followers, we would say we would take it right back to God's original plan. God the creator, the originator of all things, he created us in his image and in his likeness to bear his image so that we could commune with him forever. But as a loving God, he didn't want to force us, coerce us or manipulate us into a relationship with him. He gave us a certain amount of freedom to choose whether or not we wanted to. Theologian John Piper, he describes it in this way. He says, man was sinless, for God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. But then he also says, but he was also made them able to sin. Genesis 2, 17 says, for God had said that on the day that you eat off that tree, you shall surely die. So, we were all awesome. We were all innocent in thought, word, and deed. We were created without sin, yet with a moral choice. The only command God gave Adam and Eve was not to partake of the forbidden fruit. They could eat from any other tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge. As soon as Adam and Eve chose what they wanted over what God wanted, they brought sin into the human race, preferring the created over the creator. From that moment on, well, all hell broke loose, literally, and human nature was profoundly changed. So straight away I go, and this is me, well, that ain't fair. Why do we have to suffer because of what Adam and Eve did? Did you hear that? Did you hear how quickly I got my back up when I heard this for the first time and how I got defensive? How did I even know that it wasn't fair? Because their sin 
of tasting the forbidden fruit and finding out the difference between good and evil was passed on to all generations that followed. And that's us. So as an analogy, we could think of it like DNA. So Adam and Eve's DNA got altered, and now all of us have that same DNA. In reality, the problem that, got, that had been passed on to us is what the Bible calls human nature. The human heart was originally created in the image of God. To mirror him, in Micah 6.8 it says it was designed to love him, to love righteousness and to walk humbly and in harmony with God and with others. However, we're not able to do this because our hearts have been exposed to sin, to our selfish desires, and as Paul says it, our passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Our hearts have been corrupted and they are rebellious towards the things of God. So I was raised in a Christian home. I heard about Jesus my whole life. I knew what Jesus had done on the cross for me. I knew that I should ask him into my heart. I think the first time I did it, and there was more than once, I will say that, I was about seven years old, innocent and ignorant of what it really meant. I was motivated by a news article that was going around at the time that was proclaiming that Jesus was going to return on a certain day, certain time, at a certain hour. So that freaked me out. So I asked my amazing godly grandmother to pray the sinner's prayer with me. Well, it didn't take long to that hype of Jesus' return, obviously he didn't, died down and that predicted day, time and hour quietly passed by. But not without this anxious seven-year-old making sure she told everyone in her family how much she loved them, hoping that I would see them in heaven, but not 100% sure that I would. As uneventful as that day came and it went, so did my well-intentioned, fear-motivated, uneducated decision to follow Jesus. Throughout my childhood years, I attended Sunday school, went to church every Sunday with my family. My life was embedded in church and in church life and church culture. Jesus was a frequent household name. I quickly learned, though, that not everyone had the same upbringing as I had. I remember in my mid-20s, not long after becoming a Christian, that was the real time, a conversion I had with a friend, a conversation I had with a friend. She was one of the nicest, kindest, gracious, coolest chicks you could ever meet. She was one of those ones that you would think she was a Christian, purely by the way she lived, she acted, and how she treated others. She was so cool, lots of fun, never said a bad word about anyone. So one day, we're sitting there, we're having hot cross buns, and out of curiosity, she said to me, ah, what does that cross stand for on a hot cross bun? Well, I don't know about you, but any time anybody asks me about Jesus, I'm going to share. So I got to tell her all about the gospel. I got to tell her about Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins, to bring us back into a right relationship with him and how God gives us eternal life through Jesus for all of those who choose to accept him. Then she said something that I will never forget. She said, if you hadn't have told me about the cross, if you hadn't have told me about your Jesus, then I wouldn't have had to make a choice. But now that I know you're saying that I'm going to have to make a choice. 
Then she whacked me and with sarcasm she said, thanks a lot. And then everybody else arrived. <clears throat> but you know what? She had a point. She had a point. That moment was a pivotal one in my life. It made me ask the question, I'm always questioning God, I tell you. Made me ask the question, will everyone get to hear about our Jesus? Will everyone get the opportunity to ask him into their hearts, to turn them from their corrupt and rebellious ways? The answer I found was in God's word. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It also goes on to say, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This experience, it both saddened me and excited me at the same time. It saddened me because as someone who was raised in a Christian home and had always heard the name and the love of Jesus. I didn't realise how many people out there had never, ever heard his name. My friend was 16 when she asked me about a simple hot cross bun. On the other hand, this experience stirred my heart and gave me a passion for evangelism and for reaching the lost. I'm sure we all have a friend like this. Friends who need to hear the gospel. That work colleague who's always trying to get one better up on you. Your favourite barista who has your coffee ready as you're still trying to sign in on the app. Your school friend who doesn't understand why she spends one week with her mum and one week with her dad. Your training buddy who spurs you on, who encourages you, who keeps you accountable. Your elderly neighbour who talks your ear off just to ease her loneliness. You know who they are. They are the people in the sphere of our lives that don't even know yet that they need our Jesus. This is a challenge for all of us today who call ourselves believers to keep on sharing the gospel. So my early teenage years were very much the same as my childhood years. Still going to church on Sundays, now going to youth group instead of Sunday school and living life with my church family. And then I hit 15, got my first boyfriend, a new set of friends, got a job, got my licence, which brought about a whole new sense of freedom. Life was quickly changing gear. All of a sudden, everything from my past went from a drag, went from fun to being a drag. The church lost its appeal. My parents' values and rules were no longer respected. What used to be fun, cool and hip, it wasn't anymore. My life was moving in a different direction. My choices were taking me further and further away from my biblical foundations that were laid down for me as a child. At that time, I didn't really care. I chose what I wanted, when I wanted it, how I wanted it, and the world was more than happy to accommodate. I spent the next 10 years living up in the wilderness. Now some would call it the wildness. I didn't think I was that bad, but my parents might say otherwise. But I would pop in and out of church during that time just to catch up with the people. I had no desire whatsoever 
to know the things of God. If anything, I would sneak out just when the sermon started so that I couldn't get convicted, as I had any say in the matter. I was there purely to socialise and to eat the freshly baked morning teas that all the ladies would make. Those 10 years just flew by. There were many highs and just as many lows. But that was okay because it was my choice that I chose for myself. I was happy to suffer the consequences of my own choices. However, I did not realise how my choices, how my actions, how my conduct affected others. In hindsight, I now know that every time I chose my wants and desires over God's, it grieved him. Whether it was a conscious choice or not, whether it was intentional or not, it grieved him. Because the way that I lived my life was not honouring to him or to others, like the book of Ephesians says. My family and friends were also affected. They saw what I went through over the years. They saw the hurt and the pain and the struggles and often wore the brunt of it all. They saw the hopelessness of a life sold out to self. Watching from the sidelines as I made one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision. Yet they were helpless to do anything but pray. Their weekly tears that were shed at the altar for me did not go unnoticed. Praise God for godly parents, hey, who never ever give up on their children, no matter what we put them through. My kids don't even think about it. <laughs> you know, I knew what I was doing. I knew it wasn't right. I knew because of my Christian upbringing. I knew that I was intentionally rebelling against God. I wasn't like my friend who didn't know, who had never heard the name of Jesus until she was 16. I couldn't use that as my excuse. I should have known better, yet I still chose to live my life for me and not for God. Then praise God for youth camps. Hey, youth camp 1996 South Pacific Nazarene Youth Conference. This is where he stopped me in my tracks. He said, enough is enough. I have waited for you far too long. He said, I smiled as I watched you swing those arms and legs as you sang Father Abraham in your Sunday school class. I heard you cry when you thought the world was going to end at the age of seven. I relished each time I heard you and your family sing songs of praise and worship to me in my house. I laughed when I saw you fiercely compete against your fellow youth group friends just to win that chocolate bar. I heard your heart skip a few beats or two when he walked into your life. I felt it break like you did when he left. I watched you pick up the pieces of your grief, hurt and pain your way. One boulder at a time. Each one had a label. Self-doubt, denial, worthlessness, fear, distrust, insecurity, independence, control. One by one, you built your fortress. No one was coming in 
and nothing was going out except on your terms. I watched you for the next five years fill your life with empty, meaningless hopes and dreams. Relationships that would never, ever satisfy you. I watched you wrestle with the choice of becoming a single mum for life or staying in an unhealthy relationship. I could see what others couldn't see. I could see under, I could see over, and I could see through your fortress. I've been here through it all. I have pursued you from the beginning. I have continually drawing you close to myself. I sent my son to you, for you. I have given you example after example in my word of how much I love you, how much I value you, and how I'm always gonna seek you. January the 10th, 1996, he broke through my fortress, amen? He broke through my confusion, my brokenness, and my strife. I gave it all to him. My broken, selfish, undeserving heart was now his. You know, I thought things would get better and easier from here on out, because they do, right? I had a new heart. I had a new perspective. I had a new joy. I had a new hope. I had a new purpose and a new desire to live God's way, all by the grace of God, by the way. However, I underestimated how hard that was going to be. There was this constant tension of wanting to love God, his ways, with everything that I had, yet still wanting the things for myself. I joined the worship team. I led Bible studies groups, youth groups, Sunday school, you name it. I got heavily involved in ministry and I loved every moment of it while learning and growing more about my God. Simultaneously, the remnants of my old heart were still flickering in the background. The in-depth study of God's word was getting more and more confusing for me. The blank looks and frowns from my so-called friends each time I declined one offer after another. The doubts and fears of getting it all wrong and letting God down consumed many the sleepless nights. The rivers of tears and heartaches over the decision to turn down his proposal over God's. Even with a new heart, the struggle, flesh of the spirit was so real for me. Although our sins have been forgiven, and yes, we do have the Holy Spirit living within us, our human nature still pulls us to our flesh, even as we continue to live his ways. Paul summarizes it well in his letter to the Romans when he says, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful human nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Church, we need to remember there's a battle, a battle going on for our hearts. Our enemy is prowling around, looking for us to slip up, luring us into the temptations of our past. Let me assure you, no one is immune to his sly tactics. I remember one night after church, chatting with my ex outside, still battling that year-old decision to let him go for God. 
and his desire to see if he could be second best in my life. I think it would have been one of my lowest points in my walk with God. And in that moment of weakness, I convinced myself that if I couldn't have them both, then I was going to walk away from God. And I was going to miss out on eternity, but I was going to live life right here, right now, with him. Just as I was about to tell him, I looked up and I saw my sister, my brother-in-law, my friend, my neighbour, my work colleague, all file out of the church sanctuary, one by one. Right then and there I realised the enormity of my unspoken decision and the responsibility and the witness of what that would have looked like to these new converts. I was overridden by my sense of guilt and love and hope for them. You see, it wasn't that I stopped believing in God or that I was even angry at God or even annoyed at him or even didn't trust him. I simply wanted what I wanted, when I wanted it, how I wanted it, in my way and in my time. It was in that moment that I realised that even though I had a new heart, even though I was free from sin, the Holy Spirit was still working in me, I didn't have a renewed heart. One that was completely and utterly surrendered and sold out to him. A heart that only wants what he wants. A heart that will choose daily his ways over mine. A heart cleansed and purified of everything of myself. Nothing of me, but all of him. You know, my story is not that much different from the people of Israel. Listen to some of their story from the prophet of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, 22 to 28. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message, says the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, of which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy and great my name is the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and I'll bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. You see, the details of our stories, mine and Israel's, they may vastly differ, but at the core, at the heart of it all, our hearts were corrupt and rebellious towards God. We both chose our ways over God's. We both turned our backs on God, even when we knew better. We both let the desires of the world 
rule our hearts. Yet in spite of our willful disobedience, he makes a way to bring us back to himself. He gives us a new heart through his son Jesus Christ and he puts his spirit in us so that we can live his ways and not ours. He exchanges our stony, stubborn hearts for a tender, responsive heart. J.R. Linda, Steve are going to come up right now and just before they do, they're going to sing a song that really just emphasises what our Lord did for us. And as they sing that song, I just want you to sit and I want you just to take this time to open your hearts to whatever the Lord has you. And as you think and listen to these words, I want you to think about these things. If we were to have a spiritual heart checkup today, where would our hearts be? If we were to have a spiritual heart checkup today, where would our hearts be? Would it be like my friends beating away but unsure of why? Is it racing, trying to keep up with the rhythms of the world? Is it skipping a beat or two as you revel in your newfound love for God? Is it erratic, taking that one step forward and two steps back? Or is it resting? Is it in sync with our creator and our maker? Thanks, guys. <laughs>